0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. I hope you're here and awake. You weren't partying too much yesterday. Uh, Nope, you were. I get it from your response. I see the guilt in your eyes there. I am thankful for the country that I live in thankful for the independence we have. I'm thankful for the men and women who have defended our freedoms for many, many years now. I know as a church family, we've had many youth actually recently go into the military, to the different forces as their vocation and pray for them regularly, get the chance to talk to some of them. Uh, Some, I I trust that you're praying for them as well. But we are blessed to to live where we live. I I don't think we can doubt that as people. But more so even than that, hopefully we are Christians above that. And we want to go to God's word this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 113, 113th Psalm uh, together. So take out your Bible if you would and and join me in that psalm. As you turn there, I'll give a little bit of a a background to this psalm just so you know about it. This psalm is the beginning of what they call the Egyptian Hallel hymns. This is uh, those are from Psalm 113 all the way to 118, and we'll actually be in Psalm 118 next week together. And in speaking of that, I'd like to tell you to encourage others as well. Uh, we'll be taking Lord's Supper uh, together next Sunday morning. It'll look a little different. Uh, we purchased uh, some things I said I would never get because they were so corny, but because of where we are now, I guess we need to. But the uh, like lunchable lunchable Lord's Suppers is what I what I call them. Uh, the little bread and the little juice, and we'll give direction for that next week. Uh, but just be prepared. Do not wear white pants because they spill when you flip it open. All right, so be careful. Be careful with that. But we'll we'll be doing that next week. I'm looking forward to having Lord's supper together. Uh, but a halal means praise God. That's what it means. And so, what the Israelites would do is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 were regularly sung during Jewish festivals, especially Passover. During the Passover they would sing these these psalms here in remembrance of what of what God did for their people and delivering them and delivering them from Egypt and so if you remember the the Passover story at all, the Egyptians were slaves in Egypt God had sent these plagues on Egypt but the last one was the angel of death and and how the Israelites were told that they would have to sacrifice a lamb and to take its blood and put it on their doorposts with hyssop branches. And if they would do this, the angel of death would pass by them and nobody in their home would, would taste death. But if, if, they did not, if that did not happen, then the firstborn would, would die within that household. And so throughout Egypt that night, many, many perished, but God would use that then to, to break Pharaoh and the Israelites then would be, would be set free. And so this was known as Passover, Passover the Passover time, and, and the Jews would celebrate this. And, and these are the songs that they would sing to, to celebrate the Passover. So I just want to give you that context there. You know, just a, a moment ago, Pastor Spencer was up here nerding out on us a little bit, as I would say, talking about meters and these different things with the hymns and singing. I don't know what he was talking about. Uh, meter to me is a length of distance, almost three feet, roughly, but must have to do with music is what I was assuming he was saying. But there are people who sing the Psalms. That's what they were intended for, to be, to be sung and to remember what we were singing. And so <clears throat> I want that in our heads as we study this together, as we look at it this morning. This was the purpose of this song, to be, to be sung in remembrance of what God had done, especially during this Passover time. So look at Psalm 113 with me. It says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth, who raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may set him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. So this is the first song that they would sing in celebrating Passover. Maybe to bring it home a little bit more for you. And this is what I hope to do next week in looking at the Lord's Supper. This would have been the first hymn that the disciples would have sang with Jesus right before he would go to be arrested and to be crucified. And in Psalm 118, probably, this isn't a guarantee, but probably was the last song that Jesus sang before he was crucified. And so I hope that brings it home to us a little more. Our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would have uttered these same words. I mean, he would have have sung these same words to his father that we just read, praise the Lord. He would sing this, praise, O servants of the Lord. And if you notice in verse one through five, we are told to do just this. It says, praise the Lord, why? For who he is. For no other reason than for who he is, and we look at verses one through three, it actually says to praise him for his name. Praise him for his name. Now, this might seem like a peculiar reason to praise people. You know, we don't we don't praise people just because of their name. Oh, your parents did a great job picking out your name. I'm going to praise you because of what your of what your name is. <clears throat> and so, we need to understand what does this mean. We're supposed to praise him for his name. What is what is the psalmist getting at? Well. To understand what is being said here, we have to understand what the name of God is, what his name is. And so you have to go back to Exodus chapter three and in verse 13 through 15, this is God dealing with Moses up on Mount Sinai, giving him the law. And it says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses asks God a very simple question. What is your name? And when I when I go to the people and they ask me, "Well, what is his name, the one who sent you? What is his name?" The way that God responds is he says, "I am who I am." Now, I think there are some things that we can pull from this. Uh, I was reading a uh, thing that John Piper had wrote it this isn 't all that he had to say this, but I took some of this uh, from what he had to say. there's some things that we can pull from this name that we know to be true about God just simply from his name that should cause us to worship him that should cause us to praise him when you see the name I am who I am, I think the first thing that we can gather is this: God exists because he says i am I exist I'm, I am here right I, I am and so this cannot be denied about God God exists and there are many who deny God there are many who try to come up with logical explanations for why God doesn't exist but when when God declares himself and he declares his name to his people when he does that he is telling them I exist I am I'm here I, I, it's not that I don't exist; I, I do exist. So that's one of the first reasons that we need to praise Him because if, if there is a God, He needs to be worshipped and He needs to be praised. And he is stating that I am, so He exists. The second thing, He is who He is. Now, this is something that I've heard people say before. I am who I am. Just get off my back. I—that's I, not. We can't say that. Okay. You and I can't say that. That's not a good defense. When your wife gets on your case because you're messy, you can't look at her and say, I am who I am. I can't be changed. No, you should change. You shouldn't be messy. Okay, your wife is right in that aspect. But when God says, I am who I am, we have to understand he is who he is. And so we have to think of all of the attributes of God, his His being, this is who he is, it does It describes him. And so we could go through all of that this morning, but we don't have time. But you think of his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his transcendence, which we'll get to in a little bit, his holiness, all these all these attributes of God. It's it's who he is. And he says, I am who I am. In saying that the third thing I think that we can take is he cannot be changed. I am who I am. That husband again who's messy, that's what he's saying, right? You, you can't change me. I, I can't change this about myself. I've just always been messy. I always, I always will be messy. It, just, it, is, it is what it is. Well, in God's case, he cannot change. He cannot be changed. You cannot change his mind. There, he is who he is and he has been for all time and forever will be. The next thing I think we can pull from I am who I am is we see that God has made himself known. Right. He didn't just stay silent to Moses. When Moses says, "What? what should I say? He Could have easily said, don't worry about that. If if I wanted you to know, I would have told you before. We don't we don't see that. No, God has made himself known. And we'll look at that more in verse six when we get to verse six of this psalm then the last thing that I think I want to bring out from this name that I think is very difficult for us in God saying I am who I am I think something that we must understand by looking at this name is that we must conform to his identity he doesn't conform to our identity now that's a battle that's taking place right now in our in our day and age this whole identity thing of who are you what determines who you are what determines what you are Well, according to God and his name, he determines who you are. He determines what you are. He determines actually everything about you. He doesn't conform to you. You must conform to him. And you must fall on your face before him. He takes full allegiance there when he says his name. And so when we start to understand this name that God has given us for himself, it must cause worship in us. That's what the psalmist is saying here. It causes us to worship him because his name is important. You see, there's other places in scripture where we see that names are important. Four of them that I want to point out. You might remember with Abraham. Abraham, was that was not his name when we first encounter him in scripture. It was it was Abram. But yet God, when God got a hold of Abram, God says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Why? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, Abram means high father, but, <clears throat> but Abraham means father of a multitude. And so God was doing something with Abraham. And so he changed his name to be a reflection of what God was going to do with Abraham. Same with his wife. It was Sarai? meaning my princess, changes it to Sarah, princess to many, or some interpret it mother of nations. There's also in scripture we see Jacob. Jacob means supplanter. But when God gets a hold of Jacob, God changes the name of Jacob and he changes it to Israel. And the name Israel means having power with God. So he he changed his name, and it means this. He's showing this is what I'm doing with Jacob, and I'm changing his name to Israel, and that name is important. Or if you go into the New Testament, we have Simon Peter, who was Simon. Simon means God has heard, but all of a sudden, Jesus gets a hold of Simon, and he says, Simon, I'm changing your name, and I'm changing it to Peter, which means rock, because why? This is where I'll build my foundation. This is where the foundation will be built in the church. Will be built. You see, there was a there was a purpose behind the name. And the same is told of God. When we see his name, it should cause us to worship him because what is behind that name, I am who I am, should just invoke with inside people fear and trembling and awe. And how much more for the people of God. Who've submitted to the will of God, who trusted in Him, who's trusted in His Son Jesus, how much more than should just His name being heard cause us to worship Him because of what He has done? We should be quick to that. But if His name wasn't enough, the psalmist here in verse four and five would say, The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Last week, I gave you a few stats. I saw a stat this week. They polled a bunch of pastors and they asked the pastors this question. What do you think is more important to your congregation? America or Christianity? Sadly, 53% of pastors said America is way more important to my congregation than their faith. Now, you might say, well, that's not too bad. We're like 50-50 there. That's pretty bad. For Christians, for pastors, to really feel that within their congregation. To feel like the nation that they live in is more important than the faith that they have in their Lord. And you say, well, why are you talking about that right now? I'm saying that because of this. This verse tells us what about the nations. It says God is high above the nations. Way above any nation. The word transcendence is what came to my mind when looking at verses 4 through five, because yes, within his name we understand his transcendence from creation. Right? We we understand that his name even speaks of his transcendence. He says, I am who I am forever. But then when we get to verses four and five and it, it talks about to us how he is above the nations, in fact, he is above the heavens, we start to maybe grasp just a little bit in our human minds the vastness of our God that we worship. I don't know about you, but there are some things that I start to think about and I I literally hit my end. My mind can't go anymore. I can't think of it. I I can't even fathom it. And one of them is the bigness of God. Another one for me is eternity. My mind just can't fathom eternity. I live on a schedule. I live on a day-to-day basis of things that are coming up. That's how my life functions. So to think of eternity, no number of days, just an eternal amount of days, my mind just begins to wither. And it's the same when we try to think of the vastness of God. He is so big that in fact he seems incomprehensible. His bigness, his transcendence make it seem like I can't even know this God. I I can't even understand this God. And so I think there's some things that we do. We start to minimize then the transcendence of God so that we can maybe know him, right? We, we, we start to do that and I think we do it for two reasons. Number one, we just simply don't understand. We just simply don't understand the transcendence of God. We don't understand the vastness of him. Maybe we say it like this. We say, you know, God's really hard to understand. I don't wanna focus on that. I wanna focus on the simple things about God. I'm just gonna focus on his love. I'm just gonna focus on his mercy maybe, we don't want to dive too deep into the things of God because it, it scares us and we're not going to understand it. But I think there's a second reason, and I think this is more common. <clears throat> we might not say it this way, but this is really how it goes. If I can lower the transcendence of God, it really raises me. It really makes me look better because if I can lower God to a little point, maybe it'll make me seem on par or or at least pretty close to his level. And so we like to lower the elevation of God. Maybe some of you will remember a song by Frank Sinatra. Maybe you sang it in high school or something. I don't know when he was around. I don't know how old that was. I know this song, if that means anything. I know he's known for this. He says, for what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he is not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows, oh, I took the blows, but what does he say? But I did it my way. And for a lot of people throughout history, that has been their theme. Oh, I'm not going to be one who kneels. I'm not going to be somebody who kneels to anybody. Oh, I might take some blows, but in the end, I can at least look everybody in the eye and say, you know what? At least I was true to myself. At least I was faithful to me in the end. Can I tell you what you're doing when you say those things? You are lowering the transcendence of God. You're saying, I'm not willing to bow to anyone or to anything. Oh, I might take some blows, but at least I've got my integrity. Well, I can tell you this. Your integrity doesn't mean anything in hell. It means nothing in hell. You're not going to sit there and brag. Oh, God might be putting me in internal torment, but at least I'm who I am, right? No, it doesn't mean jack squat there. But yet, we take that approach a lot. We'll see the truths of God. We'll we'll see the promises of God, but we'll say, but I don't like how this is set up so we raise ourselves up. The writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter five, verse two, speaks of this. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This should be the theme of Facebook and Twitter. If you have, if you have my opinion. Let your words be few. If if you could have some knowledge this morning, that would be it. Let your words be few. Why? Because you are on earth. God is in heaven. Now I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here because it has always been very impactful to me when thinking about the vastness of God. And it's found in the book of Job. And it's in Job chapter 38. And so you've got 37 chapters of us learning about this man, Job. You have 37 chapters of his friends telling him what he's been doing wrong. You have 37 chapters of Job even trying to make a defense for himself and Job even questioning and wondering what is going on and questioning God. And finally, after 37 chapters in the 38th chapter, God speaks. And I think I'm gonna read about 18 verses here. And I want you to hear what God has to say to Job. As Job is complaining complaining, Rightfully so. You guys know the story of Job. Going through just a horrible situation. And I know for a fact some of you going through horrible situations in your lives or in your family's lives. Job is facing great difficulties. And I want you to hear what God says when God finally speaks. When God raises his voice to address Job, and Job is asking these questions. Listen to what God says to him in chapter 38, verses one through 18. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds in its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken, Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? God says to Job, declare if you know all of this. Now I've tried to put myself in this position of Job before because I've found myself there, not in the suffering that he has faced, but definitely in the questioning of God. God, why now? God, why in this moment? God, why should this family be put through this? God, why are we facing this situation? God, why is the church being pushed against? And what should we do? God, God why are these things happening? God, what is, what is your plan? What is going on? Because according to my logic and according to my reason, it would be better if we did this route. It would make more sense to do it, to do it this way. Have you ever been there before with God? God, it would have made a lot more sense if I would have got that job. My family wouldn't be hungry. I wouldn't be experiencing this. God, it'd make a lot more sense if my dad wouldn't have passed away. Why? Again, these are legitimate questions. They're real feelings. They're real emotions. But I think God comes back with these questions. Oh, oh, Tim, you you think you know? Tim, get dressed like a man, it says go get dressed up like a man and come before me. And I got some questions for you. Tim, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, I don't know. Tim, where were you when I built it stones to rest upon? Well, what are they? I don't know. Tim, where were you When the waters of the womb burst forth and I controlled where the seas went, I controlled the waves, I said for them to stop. Tim, where were you when that happened? I don't know. Well, if you know all these answers, declare it to me. You act like you know so much down there. Speak to me. Wisen me up. I don't know. You see, our God is transcendent. He's beyond even understanding. He's beyond even knowing the things that he has done, the way that he has worked things out. Listen, for centuries, mankind has tried to know more and more and more and more. And if you study it, all we prove is our ignorance so often. Now, if the psalm ended there, it'd kind of be a gloomy day to go out. But I do want to remind you, That so far on this psalm, we've been told, praise him for his name and praise him for his vastness. So if these things were alone true about God, he still is worthy of our praise this morning because of who he is. But we also know this about God. Although God is transcendent, he is knowable. He's made a way for us to know him. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet would say, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Listen, we have a name again. And it's an important name. And it's important, why? Because it's God with us. This vast, unknowable, unimaginable God Has made his way with us so that we can know him. The same God that would question Job and say, God, or and say, Job, who in the world are you for a second to question me? Would love his creation so much that he would foretell, even then, I'll be with you. I'm knowable. I will make myself known. I will draw you to me. And so in verses six through nine, we see that we need to praise the Lord for what he does. Look at verse six. We have all these truths about God, how big he is, and it says, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Or in your translation, it could say, who stoops down to see these things. So here we again, yes, we notice the bigness of God. We notice how in order even to see the heavens, God must bend over. Right, God has to bend over to even see the the heavens where you and I have to look up and it even causes us, if you're getting older, I am too, get dizzy and almost fall down when you're looking up at these things. God has to bend over to even see these things. But we know this, he bends over. He bends over. And yes, while he is high above, he he will stoop down low to notice us or, or to be with us. I think, of it, I think of it like little kids, you know, a little, little kid comes up to you and, and grabs your leg and you could easily go, oh, you're kind, I like you. You're cute, Get, go to your mom, <laughs> right? You've done that before, but it's very different. It's very different for a kid to stoop down to that kid and to see him face to face and to talk to him and almost give them worth saying, listen, I'm willing to stoop down to you. I'm willing to go down there. That's that's the picture that we have here with God. Such great humility we see in this great God that he would bend over and that he would, would deal with us, us little children, but he cares for us so he takes time for us and care for us. Now, I don't know how you read this without thinking ahead to Christ. And we talked about Emmanuel and how Emmanuel would come and be with us, but he didn't come to be with us as a, as a king to reign or as a conqueror to rule over all the nations and to set everything straight politically and socially. Instead, we see that God would come in the flesh as Christ Emmanuel and he would humble himself. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, that this Jesus would come to die on the cross, but dying on the cross wasn't the only time he humbled himself. You would remember just a few chapters before in Matthew, before the cross. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus would say, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You picture this, this vast God who who can answer the questions that he laid out to Job? Where were you? Jesus would say, "There." I have all the answers. But yet he would take his knee in front of his disciples and pick up their feet and wash them. And he would ask them, "Why am I Do you know why I'm doing this to you?" And they couldn't fathom it. They they couldn't understand it. And still today, I struggle with that. I don't understand it. Why would this great, vast, transcendent God come here and come here so lowly? Come here to wash the feet of 12 men who in all accounts seem pretty dumb through it all, who just couldn't grasp what was happening here, who couldn't fathom what was going on, yet he would humble himself to wash them and to clean them. The only answer for this great humility is that along with this great humility comes a great grace from this God. A great grace that is full of love and goodness and kindness because the humility of God is what has given us salvation through this grace that I speak of. Look at verse seven and nine. It says, he raises the poor out of the dust and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes and with prince, the princes of the people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now we see in verses seven through eight, he talks specifically of the poor and the needy. And yes, we can go all throughout scripture and we can find passages in scripture that say, as followers of God, we must care for the poor. We must care for the needy. Yes, that has to happen, and that, that needs to take place. But I want to remind you of what Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, because this is really what I think is being brought home here. He would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what I think this psalm is really getting to that God would come to care for the poor and the needy, those who are broken in spirit. Those who are, who are poor in, in spirit, they are the ones who need God to stoop. Now again, we can go outside of these walls, and it breaks my heart to say probably inside these walls as well, to find people who would stand before God and sing the song that Frank Sinatra would sing with no shame with with no fear they are not the poor in spirit they are not the needy they feel they have what they need they feel they're getting what they get because that's what they deserve that's what they went after the poor in spirit are those who will humble themselves before god like job did God shut the mouth of Job really quick to where he would fall on his face before God to understand his neediness of that God to have an impact in his life for grace. When you look at verse nine, it says he grants the barren woman a home. When we see this, I hope it brings to our mind places in scripture where this would happen. You think of Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was barren. But then God, 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 allows her then to give birth or to Rebecca who was barren, but then God opens up her womb and now she can give, she gives birth to, to children or maybe Hannah who actually verse seven and eight is stolen from verse seven and eight is completely plagiarized from Hannah's song after God opens her womb and she gives birth to Samuel It's the exact same words. When she would praise God, because she would say, I was hopeless. I was barren, and you gave me hope. You gave me hope. These are who God has come for the hopeless, those who understand their state, the people who realize I'm nothing apart from God. I have no hope, I have no security. Apart from Him, I am just a vapor in the wind. These are the people that God has, has stooped down for. These are the, the people that God says, I am your father. I am lifting you up. I am caring for you. And that is why the psalmist here would end with saying, praise the Lord. Now remember, this was sung in remembrance of the Passover. Passover the Israelites did absolutely nothing to save themselves. Nothing. They didn't produce frogs. They didn't produce water to turn into blood. They didn't produce gnats and flies and all the other plagues that you can think of. And they cowered in their homes as the angel of death would pass over and be the final blow to Egypt. All they did was walk out in faith by the grace of God. And so imagine celebrating Passover and thinking of that in your mind and then you sing this psalm and you sing of the vastness and the bigness of God and you're reminded of his name and you're remembering how he has taken the poor and the needy and the hopeless and he has injected life into them. Why? Because God himself humbled himself to give grace to the poor and to the needy. Now, I don't know where you stand this morning. I know where I stand. I'm poor. I'm needy. I have no hope apart from this great God, but I know this. He's given me hope in Christ. And so I don't stand poor and needy anymore. Oh, by the world's standards, I might not be a super rich person. I am a rich person in the world's standards as a whole. But I might not be all that I want to be, but listen, I have absolutely everything I need in Christ. And I must be willing to bow to him. I must be willing to surrender to him in faith to believe his truths and what he declares. And I believe I've done that. I believe by faith God has saved me through his grace, through Christ, alone. And so when I read this 113 Psalm, you better bet I must praise him. If all of that is true, oh, I must praise his holy name. To think that the God of the universe would stoop down to Tim and to save me. That's just beyond comprehension. I told you that my mind goes blank thinking of eternity, my mind goes blank thinking of the vastness of God. My mind goes blank in wondering, "Why would you save me? I so often rebel against you. I so often question you. I so often act as if I have all the answers. Why me? And the only answer, God says, because I love you. That's it. I love you. I've chosen you. And I've saved you. If you have that same story as me this morning, then our job is to praise him. To praise him for what he's worth. To praise him for who he is. And to praise him forevermore, it says. I'm going to ask if you would bow with me as we pray. God, I'm thankful that you're high above all things. I'm thankful that you're in control of all things. I'm thankful that you created all things, that you can answer all of those questions that you laid out to Job. The questions would go on and on for more chapters. God, I'm thankful. You know the hairs on my head. You know the numbers of my days. God, there is nothing in my life that you do not know about. And yet in the midst of all of that, I'm thankful, God, that you would love me enough that you humbled yourself to show me your grace. God, help me to praise you with my life. Help me to praise you with my mouth. Help me to praise you with my actions. God, help me to be faithful to you because you've been so faithful to me. God, as a church family, help us to praise you. If you have saved us by your grace, like your word says, you alone deserve our praise. And so help us to be fully devoted to you in our walks as individuals, yes, but even as a church family, as a body of believers that you've brought together, that we would be people of praise God, that as we gather here right now, I can just think there's people here who are going through good times in their life. They're excited. Things are happening. God, let them praise you. But God, also you've gathered in this room also people who are hurting, people who are struggling. But God, we are one in the body of Christ. And so help us to worship together. And God, when one of my brothers or sisters is struggling, God, help me to go alongside of them and to praise you and to urge them to continue to praise you in the midst of hurt but God at the same time to wrap an arm around them and to love them and to minister to them. God I I do want Mineral Missionary Baptist Church to be known as a people of praise. As people who are centered on your word who love you who speak your truth who hold firm to it people of the Bible. God, as we close out this service now, I thank you that you've let us have this time together. But God, we're gonna close with a song as we always try to do. And God, I ask that you would help us uh, to use this song to, to praise you, to worship you, to adore you. And God, I pray that we'd also use this time to respond to your word as we should Reflect on it, to let it mold us and to make us who we need to be. God, we do praise you, and we praise you now during this song. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at MNBCOnline.org.